Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan from Mac. On today's show, the tech startup bubble blows even bigger and why we may be seeing a major role reversal between the U.S. and China. But first, the Space Force. Yeah, this might be an actual thing now. President Trump last week directed the Pentagon to create a sixth military branch that would oversee all defense missions and operations above the Earth's atmosphere. Here's how Vice President Pence described it during a speech. President made it clear that our ultimate objective is to create a new branch of our military that's separate from and equal to five other branches. The Department of Defense will release a report outlining the first stages of our administration's plan to implement the president's guidance and turn his vision into a reality. Now, there are lots of critics of this plan, but let's begin with the thing most people seem to agree on, which is that there are some actual national security threats related to space, particularly as we send more and more satellites up to enable what we do on Earth. Satellites that manage everything from military operations to our communication systems to even our Wi-Fi. And countries like China have been developing capabilities to shoot down satellites. So having some sort of protective structure does make sense. Where folks differ, though, seems to be in the organization, since most space defense operations to date have been handled by the Air Force and actually have been since the 1950s. And a lot of folks in the military and some in Congress think there's no reason to rock that status quo. Plus, Trump mentioned how Space Force would give the U.S. what he called dominance in space, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable, particularly those of us who in the last couple of decades have grown to view space as a place where kind of superpowers work together on things like science and discovery, not a battleground. The bottom line here is that Trump cannot do this alone. He needs Congress, but it's no longer just the flight of his fancy. It's an actual policy directive. In 15 seconds, we'll be joined by Axios' Lauren Mayer, who was in the room last week for Pence's speech. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. We're joined by Lauren Mayer, an Axios editor who was at the Pentagon last week when Vice President Pence gave his speech. So, Lauren, just to start, give me a feel of the room. Was there enthusiasm for this? There was a level of enthusiasm in the room. It was basically filled with military personnel from throughout the Pentagon, from just about every branch of the military. And as soon as both Pence and Mattis uh, walked on stage together, there was definitely a roar of excitement for both of their presence in the room. Mattis put that back to Pence and said that he never gets such an excited welcome into a room. But for the most part, there definitely was a level of excitement. Now, does it have to do with the Space Force or just people who like to see a speech? Exactly. With the vice president. Let's take the broader picture here. So from your perspective, is Space Force a real thing or is it a PR stunt? So the short answer is that this looks like it can be doable by 2020, which is the time frame that they laid out in this report that was released last week. Uh, But as you mentioned, ultimately, this is in the hands of Congress. But if we look to the development of the Air Force after World War II, which was the last time that the U.S. formed a new military branch, that only took about two years. But what this is going to require is not only just a rebranding of the current departments that we have dedicated to space, which are right now under the Air Force. This is also going to require employing private contractors, maybe like Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, but also government contractors in drafting this policy that will come along with creating a new branch of the military. So in other words, we're talking about a a huge spend here is probably what we're talking about. 
Absolutely. And what they've allocated is $8 billion over the course of five years. And critics say that this is a lot of money to essentially just rebrand the current space military divisions that we have right now. But supporters of this really say that this is a small price to pay for developing something that they believe is very necessary. Let's talk about that necessary part. How real is the threat, for example, of a country, call it an enemy of the United States, having the ability to, say, blow up not just all these little small satellites that we keep sending up to do relatively small tasks, but even some of the bigger ones, which really kind of help oversee critical infrastructure? So the threat is fairly tangible at this point. And this development um, and this somewhat of a need to develop a space force largely comes in response to these anti-satellite weaponry, the lasers, hypersonic missiles uh, that are being built by China and Russia that could threaten American reliance on space systems. This is something that both Pence and Mattis cited as really urgent threats that need to be countered. So space warfare has the reach to implicate really imperative functions of day-to-day systems, such as GPS, power systems, communication Mm -hmm. systems. So this is definitely a real threat, and the U.S. definitely wants to get on top of that. So let me ask the counter, which is, and I assume this is if we were having this show in Beijing, what I would be asking you, which is, isn't the U.S. building similar capabilities? The U.S. is working on building similar capabilities, but a lot of people do argue that we are a little bit behind our adversaries like China and Russia in this race to counter these threats up in space. You use the word race, and we like saying race (laughs) with space because they rhyme. So let's say space race here. Is that kind of where we're looking here in the future? And forget 2020, maybe, you know, go the decade beyond where you're going to see a almost kind of a new arms race, but in space in terms of spend on both weaponry and then protection from weaponry in space between us and Russia and China, et cetera. So somewhat of a race is definitely a possibility. So the big picture here is the report last week called for efficiency and speed rather than establishing a space force immediately. The U.S. obviously wants to get on top of all of this. But at the end of the day, I know a lot of people are imagining a battle up in space and that sort of race to uh, get on top of that encounter, uh, some sort of battle up in the sky, like a Star Wars sort of imagery. But this is more about uh, the first steps in establishing establishing the specific units to accomplish this goal of accelerating defense mechanisms to counter the existing threats that we're seeing. So you're saying we're not building a Death Star yet. Got that. No Death Star yet, because that's very expensive. Lauren, last question for you is, have other countries responded to this yet? Not yet, actually, which is fairly interesting. Before this announcement, we did see uh, Russia throw it out there that if we did develop a space force, that they would respond and they would respond in a fairly threatening manner. And that was back in June. Since then, we have not seen any major responses from nations out there, whether it's in support or not in support of it. So the responses, especially from our adversaries, is something we will just have to wait and see. Lauren, thank you very much. That was Lauren Mayer of Axios. My final two coming up right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. 
And now it's time for my final two. And first up is the absolutely insane amount of money being invested right now in tech startups. So last month, we saw at least 55 companies raise $100 million or more from venture capitalists, which was easily a record, or at least for now, because there's probably every reason to wager that it'll be broken again before year end. Now, for context, this is a pretty new phenomena driven by climbing stock prices for public tech companies and the entry of mutual funds and sovereign wealth funds, these so-called deep pockets, into startups. Startup funding. For example, I remember years ago, there was a Los Angeles-based company called Amped Mobile, and it raised over $100 million, and I spent weeks writing about it. Today, it would maybe get a mention, maybe not. What's really changed maybe even more than the dollars, though, is the perception of those dollars, and that's best highlighted today in a New York Times piece by Aaron Griffith. In it, she quotes Bill Gurley, longtime VC who just a year or so ago was predicting mass graveyards of overfunded tech startups. Now he's saying, quote, you have to adjust to the reality and play the game on the field, end quote. In other words, the only thing that really died was the fear of a correction. And finally, you might have heard of Y Combinator, which is a Silicon Valley tech accelerator that's helped mold such companies as Airbnb and Dropbox. Well, last night it announced an expansion to China. And why that really matters is the reason behind its move. Sam Altman, Y Combinator's president, tells me that while it used to be that Chinese tech startups were basically copying US tech startups, that paradigm has begun to reverse itself. And it's the sort of thing that should be a huge wake-up call in the U.S. because it could mean that the next major innovation wave will drown us. And we're done. Big thanks for listening, whether on Apple, Radio.com, or other platforms. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers. Be sure to follow us all day at Axios.com and sign up for my pro rata newsletter at signup.axios.com. Have a great National Leathercraft Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another pro rata podcast.